Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before your throne this morning. Lord, we come as your people who have been redeemed in Christ, as your people whose only hope is in Christ and what he has done to save us from our many sins and to justify us and to sanctify us in himself. Lord, we thank you that you were pleased to give us the gift, the marvelous gift of salvation and the marvelous gift of your Holy Spirit who has been given to us as a seal and a down payment and guarantee of our salvation. And Lord, we pray and thank you for establishing us here as Berean Sovereign Grace Church, that we may be bearers of the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Lord, we pray that your spirit will continue to uphold us and to uplift us in the teaching of the truth, in the teaching of the glorious gospel. For it is only the gospel that brings people to Christ. It is only the true gospel of salvation by grace alone, by faith alone, in Christ alone, that saves sinners. And Lord, we pray that you cause us to walk by this narrow path of the gospel. And may you bless our teaching and bless the ears of those who are hearing and those who shall hear. We pray and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. We are a teaching church. And because we are a teaching church, sometimes it's difficult to just come and say one thing and stop there. That's what a lot of people are already doing. We do not get to meet every day or at least two, three times a week that we may have opportunity to teach the different things they are for us to understand about who Christ is and what work he has done. Because the work of Christ is a unit. The work of Christ is a unit and is because Christ has done it all, so the work comes as a complete unit, a complete package. Christ is not like a house that has doors that are not connected to each other. You don't have the basement with its own door, but does not open up to the other rooms in the house. Christ, as a building, is connected in every way that Christ is connected. And because of that, the importance of teaching is for us to connect the different aspects of the work of Christ. It's very important for us to connect the different aspects of Christ. How does this teaching of the work of Christ relate to justification? How does it relate to grace? Why faith? Why the glory of God alone? All those things need to be connected and they require time to teach them. And we determined that having communion teaching is one of those things that we can be helped to understand the gospel. Because the gospel is very simple in essence, but it's a very complicated matter when you actually start digging and trying to understand the different aspects of the work of Christ. And our purpose is to try and connect those things so that they come to your heart and you can see what Christ has done in the various ways that God has taught it. So communion for us is something that is very important because it allows us to go and preach the gospel in a different way, in a way that allows you to see what Christ has done for you. And today for our communion teaching, we are going to be in the book of Matthew 27. Matthew 27 
verses 1 to 2, and then Matthew 27, 11 to 26. And the title of our message is, Not this man, but Barabbas. Not this man, but Barabbas. And this is what he says. Now when morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people conferred together against Jesus to put him to death. And they bound him and led him away and delivered him to Pilate the governor. And we'll fast check to Matthew 27 verses 11 to 26. Now Jesus stood before the governor and the governor questioned him saying, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said to him, It is as you say. And while he was being accused by the chief priests and elders, he did not answer. Then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? Verse 14. And he did not answer him with regard to even a single charge. So the governor was quite amazed. Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the people any one prisoner whom they wanted. At that time, they were holding a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when the people gathered together, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release for you? Barabbas or Jesus who is called Christ? For he knew that because of envy, they had handed him over. Verse 19. While he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent him a message saying, Have nothing to do with that righteous man, for last night I suffered greatly in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowds to ask for Barabbas and to put Jesus to death. But the governor said to them, which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? They all said, Crucify him. And he said, Why? What evil has he done? But they kept shouting all the more, saying, Crucify him. When Pilate saw that he was accomplishing nothing, but rather that a riot was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to that yourselves. And all the people said, His blood shall be on us and on our children. Then he released Barabbas for them. But after having scourged up but after having Jesus scourged, he handed him over. To be crucified. He handed Christ over to be crucified. In Matthew 26 2. Jesus has said this to, to his disciples. You know that after two days is the Passover. And the son of man will be delivered up to be crucified. You know that. Is the Passover and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. And for us to understand what is happening here, to see the stage that God is preparing for the crucifixion of His own Son, we have to remember that the Passover feast was not a new ordinance. Why is it that the Apostles, as they are recording this for us, even the Holy Spirit bringing all this teaching back to us, He wants us to tie our understanding of the Passover with the work of Christ. He wants us to understand what God has been teaching from at least 1400 years before God has been teaching this ordinance. So the Passover feast was not a new ordinance, but was established by God when he took the children of Israel out of captivity in Egypt. The children of Israel 
were in slavery to the Egyptians. And there is a significance to the Passover. The Passover as a feast that God commanded that the children of Israel were to observe, looked back to the Exodus. It looked back to the Exodus, but even more importantly, it looked forward to the cross. So as soon as Jesus begins his ministry, his eyes are set on the cross. Jesus knows from the beginning that he is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. He knows that he has to die. He knows that he came to die. He is the one who was prophesied in the scriptures by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of David in Psalm 40, verses 6 to 8. And this is what the Holy Spirit said through David. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you had no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come in the volume of the book it is written of me to do your will, O God. So Christ has come to die. So that through his death, those who sprinkle his blood by faith on the doorposts of their hearts might know true salvation. It's not just salvation from the Egyptians, but this is a spiritual salvation. Through the blood of Christ, we are freed and we have been freed from the power of sin. Our enemy was not the Egyptians. Our enemy was our sin. So Christ, as the Passover lamb, has come to deliver us from sin and the power of sin and the judgment that it brings. But even more, Christ has freed us from the fear of death itself. So the Lord comes and begins this ministry with a an undivided mind, he knows that the Son of Man has been given to be a ransom for many. That is, to deliver his people from sin. So everything that is recorded in the Gospels is building, is building up that story and climaxing on Christ being put on the cross. All the roads are leading to Mount Calvary. And here we have an account of Matthew of what happened as the Lord was preparing to get on the cross. And there are many things that are happening at this time. There are, this is the annual Passover feast. There are a lot of people. There's a lot of preparation. There's just a lot of busyness. Just a lot of things going on. And yet Christ has to stand out as the Passover lamb. This year, this time, the Passover lamb is going to be different. So Jesus Christ sees himself as he's going on the cross as a woman who is ready to give birth. He sees himself as having birth pangs. And because he has an appointment with the judgment of God, Jesus is not afraid of the Romans. Jesus is not afraid of the Jews. The fear that Jesus has is the pouring of God's wrath on him. This is what he is anticipating. So as Jesus is drawing closer to his appointment with the cross, the atmosphere is filled with the sense that something big is going to happen. The anger and the hatred towards him by the Jews has just been growing and rising and is boiling over. They hate Jesus so much. They have to get rid of him. But Jesus also has been fanning the flames of the Jews' hatred of him so that they could put him on the cross. 
and put him on the cross, not on any other day, but on the Passover day. And they do this willingly. They put Christ willingly, but against their free will, because it's God who is driving everything. It's God who is driving everything that is happening, that Christ on this very day, he has to be raised on the cross. But this Passover that is two days away is important and is different from all the other Passover in the history of Israel. In this Passover, a different kind of sacrifice, a different kind of lamb is to be offered. This Passover is the only true Passover. The one whose life cannot be taken away from him is submitting to death that he may conquer and remove death from his people. This one who is life in himself has to submit to his creatures that he may lift them up out of darkness and judgment. And because of this, his soul is troubled. His soul is troubled. He says in John 12, 27, Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. So Christ's understanding is he came for this very particular hour that he may be lifted up on the cross and draw all men to himself. So he comes to this hour as a man of sorrows. He is not coming to this hour happy and dancing. He comes to this hour as a man of sorrows. One who is acquainted with grief. So Isaiah 53.3 would say, He is despised and rejected by man, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. So what we are seeing happening around these events is exactly the rejection of Christ by man. And Isaiah would say, in Isaiah 53, verses 7 and 8, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, for the transgression of my people, to whom the stroke was due. So all that is preaching this hour, all that is preaching this moment, and those who were gathered around Christ, those who were shouting things against Christ, did not know that Christ was being cut off for their transgression. They were busy shouting obscenities against the Lord, and yet the stroke of God was due to them and not to Jesus. But Jesus goes into this trial as their substitute that he may be condemned for them and for us. So in Exodus 12, the children of Israel were given instructions on how they were to prepare the Passover meal and how they were to eat it, and how they were to observe it as a permanent ordinance or statute. And for more than 1,400 years, they have been observing this feast in remembrance of their miraculous deliverance from Egyptian slavery. But what we have to bring from that understanding is that their deliverance just did not happen Moses did not just come and say, okay, let's go to the Red Sea and God is going to open the Red Sea for you. It is important for us to know that the deliverance, the exodus, happened in the context of a sacrifice. The exodus happened in the context of the death of a lamb that God had said for the children of Israel to kill.
And we know that the Lord had instructed them that they would take the blood and put it on the lintels of the doppos. And those who had the blood of the Passover lamb on their doors were passed over by the death angel as he brought God's judgment on those who were not covered by the blood of the sacrifice. That is, those who had not participated in the Passover feast. Now, the time for the true Passover lamb of God to be offered has come. So the chief priests and the elders have conferred, they've connived to put Jesus to death. They have connived to put Jesus to death because they hate him so much. They have so much hatred for Jesus. The only thing that they can think of to do with him is to kill this man. So they said in John eleven forty eight, If we let him alone like this, that is Jesus, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and nation. And in John ten thirty three. They had also said to Jesus, For a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy, and because you, being a man, make yourself God. So the Jews were accusing Jesus of blasphemy for making himself equal with God, and yet in their thinking, he was just a man. And of course, the servant of God in this statement. God used them to preach who Christ was. In that sentence, they acknowledged that Jesus was both God and man. So they accused him of blasphemy. And the sentence and the punishment for blasphemy was stoning. You had to die. You had to die by stoning. But before they could never lay their hands on him, even as much as they hated him and wanted to get rid of him, they could never lay their hands on him. Why? Because according to Jesus, his hour had not come. So it's not them who are driving the schedule. The schedule is being driven by God in Jesus. But now the hour has come. The hour has come. Judas and everybody are now being driven to bring the hour of Jesus' glorification. John the Apostle recorded this for us in John 13, 31-32. So when he, Judas, had gone out, that is after he had eaten the morsel of bread, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified. And God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him immediately. So the chief priests and the elders could not put him to death by themselves. They could not put Jesus to death by themselves, however much they tried. Because this was not about them. They were not the ones who were running the show. The Jews could not kill Jesus by stoning even as they did with Stephen. Because Jesus was only going to die in the way that was appointed him by God. So Jesus would say, the son of man goes by the way that has been appointed for him to go. So God has appointed the way that Christ has to go. Christ has to be raised on the cross. This is the way Christ has to go. He has to be raised on the cross. But even more, the Gentiles also had to be brought into the program. The Gentiles had to be brought into the program that they may be united in their joint condemnation and rejection of Christ. And this way their sins were also made complete. Because the ultimate manifestation of your sin 
is the rejection of Christ. The ultimate manifestation of your sin is to reject Christ. So both the Gentiles and the Jews have to be put together. They have to be united in their rejection of Jesus Christ. That is why the Jews cannot just kill Jesus by themselves. They have to be dragged in together with the Gentiles. So by bringing in the Gentiles through Herod and Pilate and the Roman law, God was uniting both Jew and Gentile in Christ. Both their sins were being imputed to Christ because Jesus was not the savior of just the Jews, but of the whole world, including the Gentile world. So Pilate and Herod are dragged into this thing willingly, but by God's design. They had no option but to be involved because God had ordained that they were to be involved. And Apostle Peter would say this on the day of Pentecost in Acts 4.27. For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. And in Psalm 2, 1 to 4, the Holy Spirit had already prophesied about this and said, Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds asunder and cast away their cords from us. So who are the rulers? The rulers are Herod and Pontius Pilate. They have taken counsel together. We, we have the elders, the chief priests. They have taken counsel together against the Lord and his anointed. We learn from the book of Luke that before this event, Herod and Pilate were enemies. Herod and Pilate were enemies until Jesus showed up. So they came and were united against a common enemy. So these two kings of the earth set themselves and took counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, our Lord Jesus Christ. So going to closer to the trial... This is what is happening. Judas has betrayed Jesus. And the Lord has been arrested. And has been tried religiously by the Jews. He has overnight had a pre-trial hearing before Annas the high priest. Who was the father-in-law of Cephas the high priest also. According to John 18.13 And also Jesus has been tried before Cephas and he would also be tried before the Sanhedrin. So Jesus had three religious trials. He had three religious trials. Three is a number of completion. And they could not find a charge against him. Jesus also is to be handed over to Pilate. The Jews conferred to hand over Jesus to Pilate. Pilate was the representative of Rome. And Jesus has to go through how many trials? Three other trials. Three civil trials. So he has been in the religious court and in the civil court. And both courts the testimony is, we don't find anything wrong with this man. And yet they persisted. They wanted him by hook or crook. They wanted Jesus on the cross. So Christ is found innocent. And that was God's testimony. That was God's testimony through their own mouths. 
that this man is innocent. And he had to be found innocent under every law. Both the religious and the civil. Christ had to be found innocent. That he may be condemned in our place as our substitute. Because if you and I were to be taken through these courts, we'll be found guilty in both the religious trial and the civil trial. We would have been found guilty. But Christ stood on our behalf and he takes all those charges on himself and he is found guilty. And he had to be made a sinner and unrighteous for our own sake. He had to be found guilty by imputation of our sin on him. But it was not the Jews or the Romans that charged Jesus as guilty. It was not the Jews or the Romans that charged Christ as guilty. It was God himself who was charging Christ as guilty of our sins. For we did not sin against the Jews or the Romans. But we sinned against God. The Romans and the Jews are just instruments in God's hands that they may do the work that God is working through Jesus. We were not paying our sins to Pilate. We were not paying our sins to the Jews or to Herod. We were paying our sins to God. And Christ stood on our behalf. That is why both the Gentile world and the Jewish world were combined in one in Christ that he may redeem all his people from both worlds. So to get rid of Jesus, they had to involve the Romans. They wanted to have him charged for treason and to be put to death by the Roman law because Jews were under Roman occupation. The Jews could not put Jesus to death by themselves. The Jews had no right according to Roman law because they were under the jurisdiction of Rome, it is the Roman law that ruled over them. So they wanted to bring a charge against Jesus that would bring condemnation on him because of the Roman law. So they want Jesus to say things that will cause trouble for him with Rome like he is committing treason. Because Rome doesn't care about religious things Rome cares about treason. So Pilate was dragged into the mix. <laughs> like God was so lucky. Uh, Pilate is dragged into the mix so that they could have Jesus sentenced to death under the Roman law. And remember, Pilate was the sole Roman representative. He was the governor of Judea. So the Jews' first accusation against Jesus was that he committed blasphemy. The Jews' main accusation against Jesus was that he committed blasphemy. And they were trying to even sneak in this argument because the Romans considered Caesar as a god and was officially deified after his death. So Pilate would not have known that Jesus claimed to be king unless the Jewish authorities had told him about it. Pilate did not care about that. But knowing this situation, the Jews were taking advantage of the situation. They wanted to unsettle Rome by saying, oh, guess what? This Jesus is claiming to be another king. And we do not have another king but Caesar. Amen. You see? So Rome is very convenient. Rome is very convenient for the Jews right now. And so they play the power politics. And they side with Caesar, their enemy. They side with Caesar, with their enemy. So they cry out, I weigh with him. I weigh with him. Crucify him. 
And when Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. And probably this is the first time that they ever said this. Because it was convenient for what they wanted. They wanted to get Christ killed by any means. But Pilate does not want to get much involved in the matter. Because he realizes that this was a religious matter. And he was not much interested in it. So he asked them to deal with Jesus according to their own law. But the Jews were quick to chime in. And they said, we are not allowed to put anyone to death. So in John 18, 31 to 32, we have Apostle John recording this for us. Then Pilate said to them, you take him and judge him according to your law. Therefore the Jews said to him, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death that the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled, which he spoke signifying by what death he would die. So the Jews, the Jews want to involve the Romans. And so they say it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. And guess what? They are lying because they killed Stephen. They killed Stephen by themselves. They didn't go to the Romans to ask for permission. They only said this because it was God who was driving them. Because Christ could not be stoned. Christ had to be put on the cross. He had to receive a trial, a proper trial. So Rome also kept a very close control of the death penalty. Rome actually did keep a very tight control on the death penalty for fear that any of those provinces and nations that they ruled could use that power in a way that was not politically useful to Rome. So they reserved the right to put someone to death. But even with that, that was by God's arrangement. That was by God's arrangement. So, who is to be released? Who is to be released? Because as we are moving towards the cross, God has been teaching about Christ. He has been teaching about Christ right from Genesis. And he continues to teach about what is happening, about the work of Christ as we draw near to the cross. It's not just that the Jews had Christ, put him on the cross, and then that's the end of the story. God is teaching what the work of Christ is as Christ is being taken to the cross. So who is to be released? Listen to how God taught this in John 11, 45 to 53, and why this had to happen this way. John 11, 45 to 53, and then we'll tie it to Matthew 27, verse 45 of John 11. Then many of the Jews who had come to Mary, that is Mary the brother of Lazarus, and had seen the things Jesus did, that is the raising of Lazarus, they believed in him. But some of them went away to the Pharisees and taught them the things Jesus did. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered a council and said, What shall we do? For this man works many signs. If we let him alone like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and nation. And one of them, Cephas, being high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people, and not that the whole nation should perish. Now this he did not say on his own authority. Listen to that. But being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. And not for that nation only, but also that he would gather together in one the children of God who were scattered abroad. Amen. Then from that day on, 
they plotted to put him to death. So the chief priests and the Pharisees want Jesus gone not for blasphemy, but because they felt that their positions of power and influence and economic interests were being threatened by the rising popularity of Jesus. And the Lord sovereignly uses their sin to preach the gospel through their wicked mouth. And so Caiaphas, the high priest, would come and say, you know nothing at all, nor do you consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people. And not that the whole nation should perish. So it is expedient, according to Cephas, that one man, not two men. It is expedient that one man, not ten men, should die for the people. One man had to die in place of the people that the people may be set free. Caiaphas here was speaking of political expedience. This was a self-serving statement. It was better, according to him, to put Jesus to death than to put the whole nation into ruin because of Rome. And yet, by saying that, he was preaching Christ. So he says, let us kill Jesus that we may save our skin from Rome. But we are told by John that Caiaphas spoke more than he knew. Caiaphas spoke more than he knew. And this is also in keeping with the way that John records things for us. So in John 18, verses 51 and 52, we are told, Now this he did not say on his own authority. But being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation and not for that nation only, but also that he would gather together in one, listen to that, gather together in one the children of God who were scattered abroad. Where did he get that from? He was preaching Christ and it's God who was preaching Christ through him. And so much for human responsibility and free will. The Lord God spoke through Caiaphas to prophesy and teach the theology of the death of Christ as a substitute. As the one man who has to die for the people. And this is what it was intended to achieve. It was intended to gather together in one the children of God who were scattered abroad. So Caiaphas unconsciously echoed the statement of Jesus in Mark 10, 45, where Jesus said, For even the Son of Man did not come to be saved, but to save, and to give his life a ransom for many. To give his life a ransom for many. So Caiaphas was right. He was right, but for the wrong reason. The death of Jesus would save the nation from destruction. But which nation was Caiaphas talking about? And which nation was God talking about? Caiaphas is thinking, if Jesus dies, that will save the political nation of Israel. He is thinking in the physical, but God is saying, no, 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 Caiaphas. When Jesus dies... He is going to be serving God's children who are scattered abroad and is going to be serving them from eternal destruction. So now that Caiaphas has made that prophecy, God then teaches the same theology through the release of Barabbas. Let's hear more about Barabbas. In Matthew 27, 15 to 26, which we already read, the Jews come and Pilate asked them which one, which person should he release for them, Jesus or 
Barabbas. Because it was a custom, as we've been told, it was a custom that Pilate established that every year he would allow for the release of one prisoner that the Jews wanted to be set free. And since Pilate believed that Jesus was innocent, he tried to have Jesus released. He tried to have Jesus released. And of course, Pilate is a shrewd politician. He is trying to gain acceptance with the Jews. So he washes off his hands and he says, well, you tell me which one do you want to be released? Because I don't see anything wrong with this Jesus. But even with that, I'm not going to make that determination for you. I'm washing my hands. You make the decision. So the people said, give us Barabbas. Give us Barabbas. And we know that Barabbas was an insurrectionist and a murderer. He had caused an uprising. He had caused an uprising. So it was in the power of Pilate, as we have in our own day, we have the president or the governors, they can grant amnesty to some prisoner. Pilate has that power, and it's the only time that is recorded for a Roman governor to have that kind of power and doing that. So my question is, where did Pilate get that from? Who taught him to start having that policy if it did not come from God himself? So it seemed to have been a unique policy of Pilate to appease and manage the Jews of whose territory he was governor because Pilate did not have a very good relationship with Rome. So he had to give the Jews whatever they wanted. In this context, Jesus or Barabbas. Okay? But it turns out that it was all by God's appointment and arrangement because God intended to preach the work of Christ. So humans, as we see in the development of this story, are just instruments in God's hands. Pilate is in God's hands. The Jews are in God's hands. The chief priests are in God's hands. The Pharisees all were gathered against God's anointed, but because God had ordained for them to do exactly that. So the chief priests and the elders have conspired with the people to ask for Barabbas and have Jesus handed over to be crucified. They have, in the modern language, they had rigged the election as it were. But they rigged the election in God's favor and as he had determined for them to do. However, for political expedience, Pilate determined to make friends with the Jews lest they brought trouble for him with Rome. So he said to them, in verse 21 of Matthew 27, Which of the two do you want me to release to you? They said, Barabbas. And Pilate said to them, What then shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? They all said to him, Let him be crucified. So who is Barabbas? Barabbas was a notorious murderer. He was a guerrilla warrior or a revolutionary leader who was driven by various nationalistic interests and had caused an uprising in Judea. So he was a rebel and a troublemaker. In Mark 15.7, this is what Mark says, a man named Barabbas was imprisoned with rebels who had committed murder during an insurrection. And in Luke 23:18, Luke records for us and says, But they all shouted out together, Take this man away, release Barabbas for us. This was a man who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection started in the city and for murder. And John says in John 18:40. 
Then they shouted back, not this man, but Barabbas. And John says, now Barabbas was a revolutionary. So what is happening here? God is preaching Christ. God is, is preaching Christ and he uses the crowd to preach Christ. The crowd was asking for the release of a man called Barabbas. In Aramaic, Bar means son. Simon Bar John. Simon, the son of John. Bar, B-A-R, means son. And Abba is father. So Barabbas means the son of the father. Barabbas means the son of the father. Hold on to that. We're going to develop it very shortly. Barabbas is a criminal who is supposed to be on death row. Here are the charges. Barabbas is a murderer and he has caused an uprising. People have died because of him. Barabbas should be justly condemned to die for he has murdered people. And the law found Barabbas guilty. And so he had to be imprisoned. And not only that, Barabbas is on death row. Barabbas is on death row, but Barabbas lives. Barabbas' sentence of death has been removed. And he is set free. But on whose account? Not on the account of Pilate or the Jews. Rather, because Jesus has gone in his place. Not this man, but Barabbas. Give us Barabbas in place of Jesus. Do you see the exchange? Give us Barabbas in exchange of Jesus. Give us Dasel in place of Jesus. So Jesus goes and he stands in your place. Jesus is the one who is going into the place of Barabbas, of Barabbas' guilt and condemnation. Jesus, the innocent, is the one who gets condemned to die in place of a notorious sinner who was already condemned to die. So Barabbas finds himself in this mix, not by his free will, but by God's sovereign determination. The gospel has to be preached, and even as Christ is going on the cross, he is preaching the gospel. So Barabbas has to cause an insurrection, and Barabbas has to commit murder, that he may be set free only on the account of Christ. The righteous for the unrighteous. The just for the unjust. So, who again is Barabbas? Barabbas is not just some other notorious prisoner that we are reading about here. No, God is saying, you and I are Barabbas. God is saying, you and I are Barabbas. You are the one who was condemned by the law of God to die. You were already on death row just as Barabbas was. But Christ came and stood in your place. Christ came and stood in your stead that you may be set free. Christ came to redeem and to be a ransom for you. I said, the name Barabbas in Aramaic means son of the father. Son of the father. And according to Matthew 27, 16, his name also, his first name was Jesus Barabbas. His first name was Jesus Barabbas. So, what is that saying? We are the Barabbases. His name means the son of the father. We are the sons of the fathers who were in prison 
and on death row without any other way to get out but the granting of mercy. And look at how Barabbas got out again. It was through the death of the true son of the father. Barabbas is the son of the father and Jesus is the son of the father. So Barabbas is only set free by the death of the true son of the father. Christ, the true son of God, has to go in the place of Barabbas. Christ has to go in the place of all the Barabbases in the world, that is you and I. So listen to the theology. Matthew 27, 25. And all the people answered and said, His blood be on us and on our children. <laughs> Let his blood be on us and our children. This is coming from people who are so full of hatred, they just want to get rid of Jesus. But in that statement, they are busy preaching the gospel. Let his blood be upon us and our children. And of course, the Lord brought judgment on Israel and their children in AD 70 when the Romans destroyed the nation and the temple. But there's more to that. There's more to that. What were these people saying? Again, they spoke more than they understood. Yes, they were saying, get rid of Jesus. Whatever happens, we will suffer the consequences. Let his blood be upon us and our children. But this is what God was saying. God was saying, they and their children needed the blood of Jesus to be upon them. They needed the blood of Jesus to be upon them. They needed to be covered by the blood of Jesus, which is the blood of the Passover lamb. This is the preaching of the Passover lamb. Remember what happened when the Passover lamb was killed. They took the blood and they put it on the doors, on the lintel of the door. And hear what these people are saying. Put the blood of Christ on us and our children. Put the blood of Christ on us, on our children. And Jesus is that Passover lamb. And it is the blood of the Passover lamb that has to be sprinkled on the doors that they may not face judgment. So by doing this, God is preaching Christ as that Passover lamb. That his blood was going to be sprinkled on his people. That judgment, the judgment that was due his people could be lifted. That the judgment could pass them over. So by that statement, they were saying, let his blood be upon us and our children that we may live. But they did not know that that's what they were saying. But that's what the Holy Spirit was talking through them. So now, even now, all men need the blood of Jesus on themselves and their children. You need the blood of Jesus on yourself and your children. Otherwise, there is no other way. You need the blood of Jesus on you because it is the only blood that is visible to God. It is the only blood that is visible to God. And this blood is sprinkled on you by faith alone. This blood is sprinkled on you by faith alone in Christ alone. If God, if God is going to pass over your sins. So Christ Jesus, our Passover lamb, has been given and his blood has been poured on us. Praise the Lord. We are free 
from slavery and we are completely free from judgment. Amen. Amen.